It's the Life of Gem live video podcast, which is now also streaming on Apple Podcasts audio only about a week or two after the live video podcast. I call this episode Writing with Precision, and you're going to see why once I have my most amazing guest, one of my good friends, Emily Fernandez, who wrote this beautiful book. Pliny and Other Problems. It was published by Bamboo Dart Press this year. She's going to be reading from it. We're going to be talking about this book and her other book, Procession of Martyrs. But first, give us a wave, Emily. She's there. She's muted. And I'm going to read her bio and then I'll bring her in. Emily Fernandez is the author of two poetry books, Pliny and Other Problems by Bamboo Dart Press this year and Procession of Martyrs by Finishing Line Press 2018. All the links are in the comments. She was selected to be a 2020 Moving Arts Mad Lab playwright, and her play Cage and Lung was professionally read online. She teaches English and creative writing at Pasadena City College PCC, for those in the know. Her poems have been published widely, most recently in Shift, Antithesis Journal, Black Fork Review, The Dewdrop, Angel City Review, Tiny Seed Journal, and others. Welcome, Emily. And you can find her on emilyfernandezweebly.com. And we'll go over that later. But welcome, Emily. Woo! Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Juanita. It's just a, a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm so happy to have you. We've been friends for over two decades. Yes. (laughs) And so I know your work very well. I love both of your books. Um, I'm so excited about your most recent one, especially um, how beautifully done it is. And we're going to talk about the cover and all that. But how about you start out with some work so people can hear that beautiful voice of yours. And I want to put the camera on you. I'm here in the background. Okay. All right. Um, So I'm going to start with the poem, the first poem, which is uh, Please Begin. Please begin. Please open your eyes. Place your feet on cool tiles. Please walk through doorways. Please take your first sip of coffee. Please remember the look to look at the elm tree. Please see how many roses bloomed and how many weeds have gone to seed. Please remember that today is not yesterday, that sleep is meant to divide us from the past, and night is made to give us thought space. Please know that clock hands neither hold nor strangle you in the present moment, but they will scoot you along one minute to the next. Please do not pretend to know the future, but keep a calendar and a journal all the same. It's only fun to climb if you have a song to sing. Please forget everything I just said. Please splash water on your face. Please stretch your bones. Please eat a strawberry. Please breathe deep. Please let love in. Please begin. Okay, so that was one poem. Um, that starts it. Uh, The next poem I've never read out loud, so I'm kind of interested in hearing kind of what that sounds, uh, how it sounds reading it. Um, So this one is called Echo of the Heart. And uh, so, yeah, it's about, uh, because the first part of the book is called, uh, is on, is titled Problems. So it's the problem of being middle-aged and thinking you're going to have a heart attack. So um, it's called Echo of the Heart. Know your pain. We grasp at such truths, the clumsy metal claw in an arcade game. By the time I was, I, by the time I self-diagnosed stress, a knot so tender in my back it sent shocks through my chest. I had spent nights contemplating the world sans me, the mess I'd leave behind. It started with the question, what was I worth? The article. Women don't act at first signs of attack, and all that rejection too. I called my doctor, the appointments made. Who can ignore the spondy chest pain? So I panted on the treadmill, braless, wires connected. She said, keep looking at the flowers or you'll faint, as the Chinese peonies throbbed with each rushed breath. 
I lay half naked on the crinkling paper, the cold wand pressed under breast, revealing the shadows, flashes of fire, reds and orange, violet blue specks on the screen as the whack back of my beat, my sound unmuted, saturated the room. Twice they saw deviations in the EKG, an awkward hill, a flattened valley, but nothing amounting to death. Know thyself, know thy pain. How often we cannot, though we feel its intimacy burn within. How often stress makes voodoo dolls of us. The brain consumes the body, plays its game, perpetrator, victim, until blindfolded we are bluffed. All right, and then the next one is uh, called Fabric, and I know this is one, one of Juanita's favorites, and we'll probably talk about it. Um, so Fabric. I watch our dark clothes spinning together, shirts, pants, boxers, bras, nothing delicate. And I'm dazed because another family I admired unraveled. And I can't help but wonder, wonder if the timer is ticking on my own. My son's jerseys and Jurassic World shirts, my now too tight jeans, my husband's gray button downs for suits he wear, he's wearing more often these days, tumble upon each other like a blur of time-lapsed clock hands. And when I see this on a dusk evening, sitting on a plastic bench in the stillness of the empty laundromat, because our machine is broken, anxiety hits me like a wet like wet towels, and I think maybe I've been too happy for too long, or negligent, or cruel, and it gets tangled like the knots of frayed hems, and I realize I don't know how to be tender like I was when I was folding newborn's clothes, each onesie held to my nose, fragrant as fresh fruit. You get to an age where you can't get the stains out, the wrinkles stay and you are left with this single desperate hope that when, you're, when you pull your family's warm laundry from the dryer, it will still feel like love. Okay, um, so I'm gonna do like one more poem. I'm gonna give a little background. Um, I have a section that's on Pliny. Um, and so Pliny is, uh, is referring to uh, Pliny the Elder, um, uh, and he wrote a book. He's from the, um, oh gosh, he was from like the uh, AD 90, right? So very early on, um, he was around that time. It might be even earlier. I don't have my, my memory's not remembering exact, the exact years. But um, anyways, when I was, uh, when I write poetry, a lot of times I'll have an image in my head and I'll start researching and I'll look for uh, stories about the image or um, the history of it. Um, so I like to do a lot of research. Um, so this particular poem I was looking up and it was probably the first time I think I came around uh, across Pliny was I was looking up like the history of peonies, where they, where they grow, what are they? And he has this really weird quote that says, um, they recommend to us, or they recommend us to uproot peonies at nighttime because the woodpecker of Mars, should he see the act, will attack the eyes in its defense. So if you try to dig up a, a, a peony plant and, um, and the woodpecker of Mars sees you, he's gonna uh, pluck, uh, poke your eyes out. So I was, uh, I was like, what? Anyway, so of course, then I came up with this story. I was thinking about peonies and how they just fall apart. Um, we had one up pretty high and it just left a huge mess on the ground. So uh, this poem is, uh, is about that. Um, when my red roses burst into full bloom, I know what is to follow within a week, I'll down my second glass of wine alone, grab a serrated knife to saw the dead heads off, while the firecrackers of the feral teens blast the suburban scene. It'll be dusk when my, my skin snags on thorns and I curse the bush and remember the lure of flowers and her native 
her naive request for peonies. How they fall apart in such a mess, like young women with their first broken hearts. You went into the forest with your old friend Pliny, notebook in hand and a quill behind his ears, his ear, sorry, to dig up a bare foot, a bare root tuber. Sorry, let me start that over. You went into the forest with your old friend Pliny, notebook in hand and quill behind his ear to dig up a bare root tuber to surprise your love. It was just like you to want the bush, not settle for them cut or vased, only to droop upon her bedroom vanity. The woodpecker told old Pliny not to touch his peonies, yet you both proceeded in unheeded. You for the lo love of her and him for the love of the larger experiment. You shoved your hand into the spongy dirt and pulled up the root, bloated and twisted like the hand of a mis miscreant. How you must have thought that your love would last, that she would still be around with the leaves where the leaves and flowers grew. But her heart was secretly with the elder. And to make matters worse, when you squinted into the glistening sky, pouring through the trees, that brutal bird swooped down and pecked out your eyes with his jarring rapidity. The blood dripped around your feet, much like these brittle petals will surely fall in this heavy summer heat. All right, so I'll stop there. So good. So good. You know, we're going to talk about the few of the, a few of the poems you just read because they're some of my favorites. And you and I were talking in the green room and the way I read Please Begin is totally different than I think the what, what you wrote it for and which is echoed in many of these other poems, anxiety, uh, stress, depression, um, kind of coming to terms with those kinds of things. So talk to us about what you why you wrote please begin and what it's really about right that's the first poem you read and you're kind of giving yourself these commands within it to do these things i read it as a seize the day kind of thing and it kind of is but what was the impetus for that well um yeah so so it was um you know i was in a writing group i was in i've uh, been in like a a women's writing group. Uh, it was run by um, uh, Karine Madassian. And um, I think she had said like, okay, write for 13 minutes, please begin. And I was like, I don't know what to write. But, and so then I, I, you know, I always go into what, what have I been feeling this week? What have I, you know, seen? How can I merge those together? And I think I just, um, I was in a really dark place, to be honest, at that moment. And I think I was like, please begin. And I just meant, please begin the little things. Um, mm. I do think I was about at that time, I had like searched up like how to get yourself out of depression because I tried to get a like a, a therapist and it was not easy. I probably yeah. said left really neurotic uh, messages on therapist um, answering machines. So um, and a lot of them are full, to be honest. Uh, therapists are very hard to find. Yeah. Yeah, a good one. So I, I was yeah. just kind of, um, they're, yeah, and they're very full. So I think I was like, okay, how do I do this on my own? And so I think I just read that before I went into wow. that writing group. And so it was really just like, take it slow, uh, be good to yourself, stay aware, stay mindful. And and it was like kind of a hope that I would just talk myself out of the mild depression I was in. So, um, but I thought it was a great way to start the book of poetry, of course. So definitely. I mean, because when you told me kind of that impetus in the green room, you know, lines like, please splash water on your face, you know, please know that clock hands neither hold nor strangle you in the present moment. They took on a different resonance for me, you know, because on one hand, you know, please take your first sip of coffee. On one hand, it's a reminder to do the things that make us happy, right? But it's also a reminder to remember to do the things that make us happy. <laughs> well, because I think that, that in turn makes us happy, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think when you're like in a kind of mild depression, you're you're kind of like doing the like getting yourself to do the things you like. That's when you kind of know you might be like a little bit depressed if you can't yeah. even get yourself to do the things that you really love. 
and 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 enjoy them. And I think I was really in that place where I was not doing the things that I knew made me happy. So you're kind of co- I was coaxing coaxing myself to do those yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting because then, you know, we go into Echo Heart and we're talking and you're talking and also fabric where you're talking more about stress and anxiety, which is the other side of depression, right? Especially the older we get, menopausal women tend to deal with a lot of anxiety as well or premenopausal in your I'm sure in your case. I I'm uh putting myself into your book. But you know, Echo of the Heart is such an important story because it's almost like a cross between a poem and like a, a warning, right? Like a commercial to tell women that the article, women don't act at first symptom of attack, right? And you start with this image of the claw and then you talk about going on the treadmill and you have all these images that you're gonna die. So talk about that. I mean, when you were writing Echo of the Heart, did you write it in one sitting? Did it take multiple sittings? Like, how do you write your poetry, I guess? Well, that one is, that one's a little interesting. So I did, I turned 40, but also I, you know, as I had been applying for full-time tenure track professor, uh, you know, uh, job as an English professor. And um, it took a toll on me. It was really, it was yeah. really difficult. And I think halfway through, I would start to get this pain in my chest that was so, bad and there were times where I'm like I have a heart attack and then it's kind of like do I really need like it's not you know like don't be so dramatic and it was like trying to play like am I being dramatic am I and I know now that like stress does have the effects of um like a heart attack it can make you feel like you're having it um so maybe I was having a pan I don't know but um well you could have been having mild symptoms you know yeah, stress. so I was worried. So I, I finally went to the doctor and then I went to the, um, so I actually went to the cardiologist, you know, like I'm 40. I'm like, okay, now I'm at the cardiologist and like, whatever. So I'm there and, uh, and, and so it's just such a surreal moment, I think, to, um, to have your heart checked, you know, like, and it's mm-hmm. not like, it's not a great thing to be like running. They like, you know, you know, you're not, you don't have any clothes on and you're like running on a treadmill. <laughs> it's, super, it's super awkward and embarrassing, but, but just to hear, and then to hear the room fill up with your, your heartbeat and then to find out like you're okay. Um, I was writing the poem the whole time wow. that it was happening. So the, by the time I got to the car, I wrote it in my phone, like, like almost, I mean, I did change a bit. I added some more, uh, you know, I added and deleted, but really I sat down in like my car was hot and I wrote that whole poem. Wow. It was a bizarre, weird moment for me. So, you know what? It makes sense because the poem has a certain rhythm to it. That's very precise, but that's also very in the moment. Right. And I think some of our best work comes out like that fully formed. I, my favorite line in the poem is, how often stress makes voodoo dolls of us. I mean, yeah, it's like this idea that like we have these pains and we don't understand them. And I feel mm-hmm. like all of our forties, all of my friends who I talk to, we're always, we're always talking about like, yeah, you just, you're, you have something wrong and nobody knows what it is. It's just, you have yeah. these weird kind of chronic issues that, you know, it's usually stress. It's almost always stress. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, what's really interesting about that, you know, relating that to fertility is when I uh, got tested in my late thirties for fertility, they said, you have no eggs left. And I was relatively young, 37. And they said it was stress. That yeah. stress will kill all your eggs, which is amazing to think about that stress can literally change your body, right? And it does, it does. And I think your your poem does a really good job of that. And it's very beautifully done. Um, I just want to shout out a couple people that are here for the people that are listening via audio. I did put a comment up welcoming them, but Victoria Waddle is here, um, who's a librarian, a beautiful writer who has multiple books, and Tony Ann Johnson, who's a writer with multiple books, and my bestie Tracy is watching. She's here. Tracy, love you. Tracy Dugan. And so, I mean, uh, uh, Tracy Sauls, excuse me. Um, she's going to kill me for that. Sorry, Tracy. <laughs> I, I used her uh, first married name. Tracy Lavoy in high school, but Tracy Sauls. She's been married to John for a very long time. So um, finally, let's, um, I want to get into other questions such as how you structured your book, because there's a lot of writers that listen. And I think it's really interesting how you structured this. But talk about fabric. 
like that book is really about domesticity and about like, but also about anxiety, stress, um, always feeling like we can't do enough, maybe as women generally, or as parents or as wives. Uh, talk about that book, about yeah. that poem in your book. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I was really just talking about the fragility of family that um, we're always, we, you know, we're always like, we're, lo we're loving these people in our lives, but um, things can fall apart, you know, kids can, you know, go and really, uh, dark or sad directions, you know, people can get divorced, you know, like, and especially, uh, I think somebody I, who I've been following on Facebook and I'm like, I think I actually was like, they have the best relationship ever. <laughs> so I, uh, they, you know, it was like, I was told that they were getting a divorce and I was like, but I really admired them, you know? And I'm like, why do I think yeah. that I, that's not going to happen to me? You know, it's just that, um, that kind of, I just think the fragility of family and the way that we are are so uh, connected, but like fabric falls apart too. You know, it gets oh. it. Uh, yeah, it it, it uh, what's the word? It unravels, right? Or it, yeah. It, so I think it was it was kind of a way to to just really be grateful for um, what was good, but also we were going through a really hard time as a family because. Um, we were remodeling our house. So I had to take our clothes to the laundry mat. So I was in the laundry and um, I I definitely felt like, you know, uh, the pandemic happened and my family was like, well, we're, we're old at the, you know, we, we've already had to like sleep in cots in the bedroom and we've like <laughs> had to have really difficult family situations. We were all kind of uh, trying to get through. I know it's just remodeling, but still we we were in a very cramped space because half of our house was shut down and we just have a two bedroom, two bath or one bath at the time. So, um, and that went on for about six months. Wow. Um, so we weren't always like the happiest. I was, you know. Um, and you're so. at the laundromat. And I'll say this as someone who in my twenties, I went to the laundromat a lot. Um, I hate the laundromat. I hate it. The only good thing about a laundromat is that you can do your uh, comforters there. But I don't even go to the laundromat to do my big comforter. I take it to the dry cleaner and pay $20. Why? <laughs> or $30 every time, like every three months when I have it cleaned. Because I hate going to the laundromat. I yeah, love it. There's something really uh, awkward about it. But then I think also like I was taking in the kind of beauty of watching your clothes spin mm -hmm. like that, you know, like the the family clothes all just kind of melding together. And, you know, um, so that was definitely something that I was thinking about there. Um, you get you can get everything yeah. done really quick. What Like you, you can. Know, I'm always doing laundry. I'm like, wow, it'd be great. Just put all my laundry in different things and just be done. But there's like that weird social thing about it, which yeah. I think is kind of cool, but also can be. Well, my mom's cool, senior yeah. community is fine. I don't mind doing, helping her do her laundry there because it's just like a bunch of washers and dryers and it's enclosed. And when we were at UCR together at Banning Fern, we had like a laundry room that we could go to. And when I say I hate laundromats, I mean, like public laundromats, especially by my house in like South Montana, by my mom's house. I'm like, no, no, not going there. Nope, nope, no. Nope. Well, it's not that I'm bougie. I, even when I had no money and was in law school, me and my roommate would pay extra for an apartment with a wash and dryer because we both hate, we both grew up kind of blue collar. Neither one of us likes laundromats. And we're like, no, thank you. Like, we're not in law school, so we can go to the laundromat. <laughs> well, it's interesting. When I lived in New York, like, it was not that much oh. more expensive to have um, laundry. somebody laundry. But there is a really great essay that I do suggest people read by the author of Sunel Barnes. And I don't know the mm. title of it, but it's in her book called um, Malaya. And she, was, uh, she came to the United States as an undocumented Filipina. And she writes about having to work in the laundromat and oh, wow. it's just, she had to clean people's clothes and uh, yeah. it's just a really um, powerful uh, piece. So shout I out mean, to it's them. a privilege not to have to go to the laundromat. We know this, right? And, um, yeah. but the other thing I found, and I know we're going a little off topic right now. So interesting about what you had to say about that poem is when you do, um, I think it started when I was 40, a lot of my friends that had been together many years started getting divorced. 
And it was like this avalanche of like four or five couples that I had known for years that had varying degrees of good, really good and semi good. And uh, that's messed up relationship. And I'm glad you're getting a divorce. But like, there was always one couple where you're like, what? Yeah. And if it could happen to them, it could happen to anyone. Right. Well, really, I mean, it really can, you know, and um, Mm -hmm. I think I would just was like, I'm not going to take that fact for granted. You know what I mean? Like, so I I think. um, Or someone could die. You never know. right, right? Right. Like the kids could like, you know, there's just so much that, you know, and I was just in that moment of like, but also like recognizing that I'm just not young and, and tender and like sweet. Like I used to be, I'm, I'm kind of like a, you no. still are, you're still no. like, you're no. saying, no, 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 no. I just don't have that anymore. I mean, I can be nice, but um, yeah. So the, the well, like, we're going out is- Saturday night. So I hope you're in a nice mood. Yeah. Oh, I will be, I will. <laughs> Yeah. Talk about yeah. how you structured your book. For those of you who don't know, um, and please, everyone that's listening in, go get her book, Pliny and Other Problems, on bamboodartpress.com. That's so, bamboo, like the material, dart, like a dart, press.com. And Emily Fernandez's Pliny and Other Problems, that's P-L-I-N-Y and Other Problems. Go ahead. Right. And I should say that... Um, it's really like the classicists, the people who really know Pliny, uh, refer to him as Pliny. Um, so the beer drinkers call him Pliny. <laughs> so I really knew him for a long time as Pliny. And I was like, when I found out after I had called him Pliny, I was like, should I go with with what I knew or with like, should I correct myself halfway through? And I just decided to stick with the beer drinkers. Okay. So, um, so Pliny, sorry, it's Pliny or Pliny and other problems. Um, and people, we're going to do a, a, after we do this question, we're going to do a, a giveaway of, I have, I bought an extra copy of this book and Emily will even sign it for you this weekend when I see her and get to hang out with my friend. And um, so we're going to do a trivia question after we talk about the structure. So go ahead, talk to us about the structure of the book. It's separated into sections, right? Yeah. So the three... Um, the three there's five poems sorry five poems in the middle about Pliny so the Pliny that was really like I'd been writing about Pliny like I said I would um I would run into Pliny just through research I kept running into him um and he was just such a fascinating guy because he wrote a whole book about um about nature and he was trying to understand nature at a very like you know early AD and um and he, he, you know, he had his understanding. Science had not evolved into what it what what it is now. Um, and he was taking, you know, stuff from Roman um, Roman mythology and and just whatever he heard and mixing it together and trying to explain nature. And mm. some of his stuff was just bizarre. And so I just the imagery that would come from reading about him. Um, I would invent little stories, little, um, <laughs> little imagine, imagination. I would just wander into this world of Pliny and, and like m- mix it with my own life. And so the middle part is Pliny. Um, but he's also problematic uh, because it, what he says is just so weird. And like when he talks about women, it's super problematic. Um, uh, which Because, yeah, I, I mean, he, he was an ancient dude, right? This yeah. is back in, back and, in the ancient times. Yeah, I mean it's kind of problematic, but kind of cool in his uh, in this section. Um, well, it'll be a teaser. You got to read what he says about women to get you get my book, or you could look it up. But um, anyway, so the middle part is Pliny, and um, but so the, he had some problems, and then I had these this group of poems that were kind of me being a little bit angsty, a little bit irritated, a little bit. Um, yeah, just kind of in a bad mood about dumb things, like even like the problem of getting a compliment. So there's a poem called Compliment, the problem of like being too busy and missing boredom. So Ode oh, to Boredom is about personifying boredom and, and like romanticizing boredom as a as though as a person. Um, you know, so the problem with quarantine a little bit, um, you know, just problems, just problems. So that's the first part. Um, kind of also tying into, you know, the the Trump era and and um, that stuff. And then I would go into Pliny. And then the second half really is 
about my relationship with nature or the way in which nature plays into my imagination yeah. and how I used it to kind of, again, talk myself out of a depression. And so like the last poem. And I mean, supplications, right? Almost like a prayer to yourself. Um, yeah. So, 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 so the supplications, right. It's kind of like a prayer, right. A supplication is kind of a prayer begging type of thing that mm -hmm. that section, I'm really like kind of begging myself to get out mm -hmm. of whatever mood I was in. Um, so I start like the end of the first section is battleground and the, the epilogue is victory. So I think I did somehow pull myself out of it. So that's kind of what oh. it is. It's kind of a, uh, I love that quote you have from Allen Ginsberg. Forget your underwear. We're free. <laughs> he says, oh, victory. Forget your underwear. We're free. So I, I pulled that. Um, and also, you know, definitely I'm talking about like uh, eco-anxiety, climate change, you know, the Trump era, yeah. all of that stuff. I think COVID. I'm, yeah. Uh, that kind of like, how do you, like, there's one, like, how do you go back to the battleground where you lost, you know, like, how do you start, how do you keep fighting uh, when you've been devastated by something or how do you keep fighting when you've been fighting? You know, I taught, I've been teaching about climate change for years. And so we are finally moving forward. And then when Trump just pulled everything off of the uh, EPA about climate change, it was like, how do you move forward with that? How do you deal with that? Um, amongst so many other things, so many other things, but uh, so I was kind of dealing with that. And don't you also deal with students at PCC? Don't you have, don't they have a club? Um, yeah. So I just, uh, I'm uh, the advisor of a uh, environmental sustainability club. Um, mm -hmm. So that's been, uh, you know, in the works um, and I'm super excited. It's an amazing mm -hmm. group and they've already like, um, done political action and they're just wow. like a few, few, few weeks in and uh so that's been awesome i have to say this i think those kinds of clubs are very important and and then your work as a writer and all that together um the intersections of all that you know i went to macondo which is sandra cisneros's group in san antonio for writers i did that and one of my professors told me you need to have more of a voice as an activist and because of her is really why I wrote my chat book about public defense and the intersection with music and my memoir stuff. And I think that if you take your writing into this group and your and your, and merge it with the activist side, you know, you, that's where the magic lies. I swear, it's like right. Yeah. So my I did write a play, and it was uh, <laughs> it was about um, a woman who had done you know kind of uh, well, she like burned a building down uh for like it was a corporation that was working to against climate change or cutting, okay. uh, burning the like eco-terrorism like, yeah, yeah so she was an eco-terrorist but you know she would not have allowed you to call her a terrorist but um, <laughs> so her brother and I her brother visits her her strange brother so I think that was a really important part ah. of the way in which I wrote about how to understand the moment and like, what does it mean to like, what's, what is it, what does it mean to have that much anxiety? And like, how, how do we deal with it? And how do we keep moving? How do we keep fighting? Was uh, that Cajun lung? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. well, are you going to do anything else with that? Have you thought about having it staged or? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it would be nice, but I think there's some work I need to do with it for sure. But um I mean, I'm just sitting on it, I guess. I send it out, but, you know. Yeah, no, no, no. I, think it's, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because then we're going to talk about your favorite genre next. Um, I have that question about genre, about what your favorite genre is, because you're many things. You're a writer, professor, and you write, um, you have two books of poetry, you have plays, you have a novel, You maybe two novels you've been working on, you write short stories, and your fiction is fantastic. You have this beautiful imagination. But first, while we have everyone here, here is our trivia question. And by the way, I put this on the screen. Uh, Victoria Waddle had a, um, I think she had a request. Are you reading women's facts? So um, if you want to put that in at the end, you're welcome to. You don't have to read that for Victoria. But she Well, I already talked about it, so I'll read it. Um, yeah, I'll read it. Okay, great. So Victoria, don't go anywhere because she's going to be reading that for you. 
But our question for a free book that will actually be signed in the handwriting of Miss Miss Fernandez, Emily, um, who I call MLE, um, is this. And this is about Pliny. And she said, yes, it's a request. Victoria just did. <laughs> what was the name? <laughs> so with regards to Pliny or Pliny, tomato, tomato, Pliny, I'm going to use the beer drinker version too because I drink beer. What was the name of the volcano that erupted on Pompeii that Pliny went towards and died? <laughs> and for extra credit and the same person has to get both of these who is the post-punk singer and what's the song name based on the same eruption and i almost (laughs) said where it is because i would just but yeah okay so that's the trivia question first person to put it in the comments wins this beautiful book handwritten signature of emily to you along with the life of junk cup um if you get the extra credit but if you just get the book, if you just get the first question, the first part of the question, that's the book. If you get the second part, um, you have to get both parts to get both gifts. But if you just get the book part, that's okay, too. So let's talk about this. I had this question that I really wanted an answer to. Talk about, um, and I have a lot of other questions. What is your favorite genre? Like I said, you're a playwright. You're a fiction writer. You, you've ha- you have these beautiful books of poetry. Pliny and Other Problems, as well as your first procession of martyrs. Do you want to hold that one out for people to see? That's by uh, Finishing Line Press. Please get that book, too. It's beautifully done, 2018. Um, Talk to us about genre and the difference and how you write the different genres. Because not everyone can navigate different genres. Like me, myself, I have a really hard time doing fiction. Memoirs and essays are my go-to, then probably poetry, but I don't consider myself a poet. Talk about genre and how you navigate um, moving between different genres. Um, I think I just, I think, um, oh man, um, I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm always, I don't know that I always, I always want, I guess I always wanted to be a poet and I always wanted to be a fiction writer. So those things were always in my head. I've always been making stories in my head. Um, I don't always write them. Um, I, you know, I, I finished a novel. I, I spent many, many years on it. And um, honestly, like I didn't even send it out that much. I sent it out some and I just, uh, I just felt like I was learning so much in the process of writing it. And then I also learned about myself that um, editing is really hard for me. Like, and it oh. needed it needed to happen with this novel. And editing is really hard. And um, as a mom, as a professor, as somebody yeah. who was always involved in like social justice things, I um, and I need it like to to try and edit a big book. I think needs a, a <laughs> space like. Um, a room of her own. Like I, you know, I, I live in a two bedroom apartment with two, uh, two yeah. kids. So, um, for real, right. Was, it's hard. Editing yeah, is a whole different concentration level. Right. So the writing, of it, yeah. So I got the writing down. I was like, okay, now I've got to edit. It. And I think I just got so tired of trying to edit it. Um, because I would, I would take time off and then I'd go back to it. And just the amount of time that I had to edit it, I just yeah. was rereading it. I was like, okay, now I got to edit it. But then I was back into something else. So I think uh, it just, you know, then I wrote another po- another novel in a month. I'm like, do the writer write a novel in a month? And I wrote a novel, but that one needs editing too. And I'm working on that. But um, poetry was like such a breath of fresh air because it was mm. like, oh, I can tell little tiny stories. Yeah. And so that's like a procession of martyr for, for a lot of it is little tiny stories. And some of Pliny was written, uh, you know, during that time post the first novel, even the second novel. And I'm like, I'm just going to do poetry because I can edit that down and mm-hmm. I can feel really, I can get everything right and feel really good and like say, okay, that's, that's a, that's complete. Although it never feels complete. I want to edit every, like half the stuff in here, but um, yeah. So that's interesting because I just I wrote a blog recently about that issue about um, how people put their books together, whether it's science fiction, fiction, 
memoir. And, you know, when I did my longer memoir, I wrote that over 10 years in short story. But they're memoir, but they read like short stories, right? Little vignettes. And I think there was something easier to me being very busy, just like you, doing a million different things, right? Full-time job and all that. Not only having like one week of summer to edit the stuff and try to put together, that it it's almost like poetry, like a chapbook, right? Like you're just collating this stuff together, but you're writing each little piece separate. And I think there's something to be said for that. Because writing a novel, to me, I can't even imagine just having to plot it out and get all the little uh, strings that you have to put together. If they're your own life, like a memoir, it's kind of easy not to uh, contradict yourself, right? Because it's your life. You remember. But yeah. with uh, repetition is the hard part when you write stuff in separate pieces. That's what took me the longest. I had to hire a couple people and have a couple friends do uh, repetition edits for me because I couldn't get, I couldn't see it anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't see the repetition. Right. No, that's with my novel. I just can't see. I just yeah. neither of them anymore. I couldn't see the four. I was like stuck in a bad sentence. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, this bad sentence can never live. And therefore I have to get rid of it. And I can't think about it anymore. And I don't know what I'm saying. And I don't remember what color hair this person had. And I forgot that person's name. And it's, it's a lot. And my first, the first book I wrote was two characters and they go back. It, like it goes it's not in chronological order. And it's, it goes from one character to the next character. But like, you know, it's like David when he's 10. And then and then it's like Malone when she's, you know, 25. And then it's David when he's 25. And then, you know, David when he's 16. And then Malone when, she, you know, so it's just, it was just like, a, I don't know why I did that to myself. I think that, that's you know, hard. It, I learned a lot. So I think like, oh, oh, I lost my balance. Um, So I learned a lot about, you know, fiction writing. Like I learned a lot. So I feel like this made me a really good fiction teacher. Like I yeah. really, can, you know, talk about what to do and what not to do. But I don't know if it, I don't like, I don't know if I'll ever complete it. There's one. So I, I couldn't send it out because you can't send it out until it's complete. Right. Um, with an agent, or mm -hmm. maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm too hard on myself, but I, no, I think like you're it, right. Yeah. I couldn't send it out until it was complete. And there's one chapter I never wrote. So I'm like, and I just, then I just gave up on it and I started writing poetry and that just made me Do happier. you need that chapter though, I guess is the question. Well, I mean, I think so. It's like a chapter and it's like, David does this, you know? And okay. like, I just was like, oh, I don't know. I don't write that. All right. No, <laughs> no, it's hard. It's really hard when you have to um, fix the holes, right? I have one story about my mom that drives me crazy and I put it in there. Kind of as, as a placeholder because I was trying to add more stuff from high school and stuff. And it kind of drives me crazy that it's in there. But it's like, it's in there. Just let it go. But I think that maybe you should just write it and not be too hard on yourself. You could always revise it later. You know, I really see you publishing a novel one day. Um, it's, it's <laughs> I mean, I'm happy with I'm happy with my poetry, too. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean. you gotta, I, And then what about the playwriting? Talk about that. So you talked about how hard fiction is for you and how poetry can be a relief from that and a little easier to edit. I think playwriting's the hardest. And I actually think the only thing harder than fiction and playwriting is dystopian science fiction novels because you have to build the world. And it so has to be consistent from, with rules. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't have that type of imagination. Mm -hmm. I have like little tiny weird stories about, you know, like my Pliny, some of my Pliny poems and stuff. But um no, playwriting, that was a big, I was a big Tennessee Williams fan. I, um, I, um, <laughs> I was in drama in high school, so I wrote, um, I wrote some, I wrote a play in high school and it like won an award or whatever, but I, when I think back on every, any play I wrote, um, I, it's always just two characters. Like okay. I've never gone out of that. Um, so like Cajun Long is just two characters. Um. I think the hard part, I think like if I went and rewrote it, it it's two care it's two characters sitting in a you know in a prison uh you know with a security guard behind them uh trying to hash out their life and and try to make sense of how they became estranged and how they went in such different paths. Um very interesting because I took a class at UNO with Justin Maxwell, who's a huge Tennessee Williams fan. He just uh, redid Moise and Reason in New Orleans. And um, he was of the opinion of the less characters, the better for staging costs. 
So the fact yeah. that it's only three characters is a good thing if you ever did want to stage it because it's not going to cost as much, right? So what was really exciting when, when they did do it, it was during COVID. So it wasn't going to be, it was never going to be a staged play. It was only right. going to be reading. Um, so when they did it, it was on Zoom. And actually, I thought that was the best mode for this particular oh. play and because it's the two characters, but you got to see their faces and the actors mm -hmm. were just phenomenal. They just killed it. So it was really powerful because you they, you didn't see them looking at each other. You saw them looking at the screen, but they were still looking at each other and the facial, uh, their faces and their expressions were just um, amazing. They're captivating. So it was, an, it was an interesting experience, so I'll just... Yeah, I find that fascinating. You know, it's almost like a, a monologue back and forth in some ways, you know? And um, I think, yeah, the less characters, the better, especially if you're going to do table reads of it. So let's move on a little bit. I wanted to ask you another question, and I did, I did send you these. Um, talk about how writing a chapbook and the length of this collection, right? Um, your limited chapbook poetry is typically about 50, 60 pages. This is 61, um, about 60 if you don't count any of the other stuff, like the uh, acknowledgments and all. So about 60 pages. Talk about uh, the length of it. Was that more difficult for you? Did you have to call it down? Or was it easy for you to fit your image of what this book was into kind of this form, right? Abbreviated. And do you ever plan on doing a larger collection? Yeah, I mean, um, so this form, I think it's funny. It was, I think it was a lot shorter when I sent it to Bamboo Dart. There, I was like, here, there's like three Pliny poems. There was like eight mm -hmm. poems on both sides. And then I think it went to 13 on both sides and five and Mark Givens was like, yeah, it's a, it's a longer chapbook. <laughs> it's, it's pretty long now. <laughs> so, um, but you know, they were, by the way, the best publishers uh, ever. I'm really there. Dennis Kolachi uh, and uh, Mark Gibbons of Bambi. Anyways, they were fabulous all the way through. I just loved them. So, oh, and Mark is here. Yeah. <laughs> yep about her book or yep that you're epic. I think yep about both. So, um, oh, it's, I'm and by the way, I am going to give this book away. Um, I'm going to a class next week, um, and I'm going to give this away as well as part of my class. Um, uh, so, Mark Givens said, "Love you too." Oh, thanks. Yeah. So, yeah. So really just, quick, just going back to that, how important to you um, after you answer this question is a press? Talk about um, finding a good press for the writers that are listening in and watching how important it is to find a good independent small press if you're going to go that route. Um, yeah, I think it's everything like, um, you know, I, um, I am so happy that I went with a local uh, press, uh, a punk rock press. You know, I just think their vibe is very relaxed. It's very open and it's not, um, it's not, what was the word I used? Um, it's not opportunistic. It's not mm. how to make its own money. And it's like, it's, I mean, they make money. I'm not saying that. Um, but, you know, like that is not what they're after. They are after, you know, really working with the artists and creating the artist's work. And I, but also adding their very uh, wonderful touches like this, this cover. I mean, the day I saw this just, you know, Aww. I was like, wow, this really came together. Um, it was like my, my dream and it, they put it together. So I think that they're, um, I think that that was amazing. And I would never want to go with any other kind of press, to be honest. I mean. And on that note, for those of you listening in or watching, I did put the link to the YouTube video of the trailer that Dennis Kalachi put together and Mark for Emily's book where she's reading it. So you can look that up on YouTube. You just put in Pliny and other problems, Emily Fernandez, Bamboo Dart, it'll pop right up. So go ahead, Emily. No, I just want to say that, like, what, what Dennis Kalaki did, Kalaki, did I say that right? Kalachi, yes. Yeah. Kalachi did. Like Chachi, um, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Dennis. No, I used to call him Dennis Kalichi. Okay. Um, it's Kalachi, so what, yeah. What, so what he did to my 
my um my poem just made me look like I was a super cool person. And so anybody who can do that to me is like <laughs> is amazing. So um yeah, I, I almost never want to read that poem. I just want to like look at look at this. <laughs> look at this uh this cool uh video. So he did an amazing job with that. I think you're way too humble. You are super cool and he just caught that side of you. You're also super humble and uh at times, like uh, self-deprecating is the best way I would put it. You know, yeah. you're self-deprecating. Um, I mean, <laughs> and Alejandra Benavides is watching. Thank you, Alejandra. Um, if 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 I know who that is, ah, where are you at, Alejandra? Tell us where you're um, checking in from. Give us a shout out. So, Emily, just really quick because we're running out a little bit of time. I wanted you. Um, before we go into your reading at the end, talk about how people can find you, events you have coming up, anything you want to let the listeners know about you, how to find your books. Take it away. Well, I'm always welcome to be invited to a reading. Um, I, I, I think I'm going to, I keep wanting to plan events and I don't do it. So. And Gabriel um, Valley. Woo woo. <laughs> um. But um, I have been working, uh, you know, bringing authors to uh, PCC. So that's been kind of uh, exciting for me. We brought Ruth Nolan, who's also up with Bamboo Dart. Um, but also I had, heard, I had heard Ruth Nolan's name for years, like, you know, this desert poet, this amazing woman. So like I got to finally meet her and then I brought her to PCC and she read and that was amazing. And then next week we have Tony Ann Morris. Uh, sorry, I always do that. Tony Ann, sorry, Tony Ann Johnson. Um, oh man, okay. Author of Lights Being Gone to um, get this book. Uh, she's going to be a writer in residence. So she'll be with us for three days. She's going to read on Tuesday from 12 to one and then Thursday from one to two. And uh, I just can't, next week I'm going to start teaching her book and um, very, very excited to have her. She's, she's an amazing, amazing human. She is. And get her book Light Skin Gone to Waste. It was the uh, winner of the Flannery O'Connor Award um, picked out by Roxanne Gay herself who was the judge of that contest and light skin gone to waste and all those events at PCC are free next week, Emily. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then you can also go to the bamboo dart page and um, I'll, I'll share any upcoming readings that Emily's going to be doing. What's your website again, Emily? Well, it's Emily. And then like, it's not the, it's not the lower, it's not the, it's just Josh, just Emily dash Fernandez at weebly.com. And it's, needing some construction and, and work. So uh, it needs to be updated a little bit. <laughs> do you do that yourself or? Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. that's good. Uh, well, I'm really selling myself here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have a web lady if you need one, but I mean, if you can do it yourself, do it, you know, but the problem with doing it yourself is sometimes it doesn't get done. Um, but I think it's great everything you're doing with your environmental club at PCC, you're bringing in these writers in residence. I think you also had Jose Hernandez Diaz there recently who wrote the fire oh, eaters and is coming out just to shout out to Jose to this be a beautiful book that I've heard passages from called bad Mexican. That's going to be epic. I think, I think it's, I think, I think it's, it's bad Mexican, bad American. Yeah. Bad. Me and it's going to hit. I can tell you. Yeah, that no, I mean, he's, he's, he's published everywhere. So yeah. And then, um, so, People get Emily's books, Procession of Martyrs on Finishing Line Press from 2018. It's also available on all your retailers, Bookshop, Barnes & Noble, um, and Amazon, of course, if you want to give your money to Bezos. Um, and then Pliny and Other Problems, just go directly to the Bamboo Dart website and order it from them. Eight bucks a steal for all the blood, sweat, and tears that Emily herself put into this beautiful rumination. And it is beautiful. And it's beautifully crafted, beautifully curated and collected. It's almost like an album um, in some ways. You know, these little chat books remind me of my favorite albums that you can just flip through and listen to a song or poem or two. Um, and you're writing, I called it writing with precision, precision, because I don't know if you, you know, we don't always notice the best things about our own work, but just the, um, 
the rhythm of your of your poetry. It's so rhythmic. Uh, you have that lucky lady, right? Lucky lady. Like, um, and everyone get this book just to read Lucky Lady. I'm not going to give it away, but it's about a waitress and it's the funniest poem ever. And she has a poem called Jazz Hands as well. Let's do some jazz hands, Emily, and we'll do it to take us out. But you're going to read again for us, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. You got, well, read as long as you want. I'll come back in at the end. Do not log off until I bring you back into the green room because we're recording this live for audio and we need to download just an aside, which I forgot to tell you before. So okay. just don't log out when we, when we go, when we stop, but everyone tune in right now. Cause it's all Emily. She's going to read for us. Take it away, girl. All right. So I'll start with one book, one, one poem from here, which is uh, my first book, uh, Procession of Martyrs. This is one of my, my favorites, or I always call it my fan favorite, even though I probably have like five fans. But anyways, this one is called Vincent. Um, and so there's a story I did. Re I was thinking about ears. I wanted to write a poem about ears. Um, so I started doing research and there was a story about how maybe Vincent Van Gogh did not cut off his own ear, but in fact, Gauguin, the, the, um, the painter, uh, uh, they, they were roommates and he was a, a fencer. So they're speculating that maybe Gauguin uh, cut off Vincent Van Gogh's ear. And so I was uh, contemplating that. Um, so it's very much about your ear and uh, this story. So it's called Vincent and then it says Gauguin uh, speaks. You leaned to whisper in my ear, your voice hum in my throat. Your soft lip on my helix, your fingertip at my lobe. Turning your face, you lent me your ear. I sent my caterpillars in, and out of your mouth, butterflies fluttered, yellow as sunflowers. I tried to catch them with a net, but they were poetry by then. I had no patience for using the pen to turn them back into words. The rest unclear, my memory dulled by promised secrecy. You painted you with a bandaged face, and I exiled me to the shore. How often do you think of that night holed up in the asylum? It's killing me not to know. If you are haunted like I am haunted, I look for the butterflies in the field, but I can't hear what they say. Just the howling of your subtle breath swirling through the cave all right so that's uh that's one poem thanks um the next one is so i'll do the women's the women um i'm gonna do the women poem and then the uh women facts this is a uh, pliny's uh mansplaining i forgot this uh, tim hatch uh said that pliny was the uh og mansplainer and he really was. So, um, that was the best. Uh, so this is his, I'm trying to find it. Um, here it is, Women Facts. So pay attention to uh, the quotes. I take a couple quotes from, um, from him. Uh, oh, these are the two quotes. Hailstorms, they say, whirlwinds and lightning even will be scared away by a woman uncovering her body while her monthly courses are upon her. So when she's menstruating, um, if a woman strips herself naked while she is menstruating and walks round a field in, of wheat, the caterpillars, worms, beetles will fall off the ears of corn. All right, that's just his words, right? Um, so I just wrote this, uh, this kind of response to it. Woman cries out in the hailstorm. Blood rages within like a whirlwind. A body naked illuminates in lightning, letting loose the ancient shame. At sight of her, caterpillars see their, their future wings. Worms know the fecund depths. Beetles feel the vibration of their song and have no shame fall from the ear of corn, return the queen to her hive, hide your frightened men. Women will call them out and feel no shame. 
So that was uh, my little my little correction or not even, I mean, he kind of, he does, he kind of does lift up women. Like we're pretty powerful when we're on our period. So just watch out. <laughs> um, and then, uh, oh, I wanted to do tapestry. I, I really do uh, love this poem. Um, so I, you know, I garden a lot, but sometimes I put something in the ground and uh, it becomes what I thought I put in the ground. And then later it becomes something else. Um, I'm not going to name the the big uh, departments department uh, home improvement store that I buy some of my plants from, but when I buy it from them, they start as one thing and they become something else. And so I was uh, I was kind of looking at that. Some uh, so I didn't know that gourd, you know, a gourd. Yeah, uh, for some reason that didn't sound right, but. Um, you know, when you go to like Halloween and they have all that weird shaped squash and you're like, how did it get weird shaped? It's just because of cross pollination of bees a lot of times. And I realized that the hard way. So this poem is about that, but it was also at a time when I was uh, definitely in a, in a dark space. So I was trying to see my way out of it, I guess. And it's called Tapestry. I've been craving this poem for days, staring at a wall stained with memory of dead vines. The sun cuts small cracks through spring clouds. My mandarin tree grew a thick branch of sour grapefruit. My yellow miniature rosebush bursts with loose magenta blooms. The donut peaches are now shaped like teardrops. By accident, I know how to grow a bitter pumpkin, a, squiny, a spiny squash. Montaigne says that nothing is pure. Even this melancholy covers me in a tapestry of watercolor wisteria and buried in the cloth are real seeds. A bee thinks my ear is a flower. I think I cannot stay the same much longer. Cross-pollination, hybridity, adaptation, call it what you will. I light a match, hold it to the candle wick just to feel the hiss of transfer and flare. Where does the wax go? into air. So um, I guess I'll end there. So thank you very much. Beautiful. I didn't know that, that that's how they made those little gourds. Yeah, I think it's just, I mean, that's how what started coming up in my garden was just these weird things. And it was because I was putting the, the pumpkins right next to the, um, to the zucchini and the yellow oh. squash. And so then I would get these really weird shaped, um, and weird colored, uh, uh, yeah, squash. So you got to keep them very separate. Very interesting and a fitting end. Yes. October <laughs> episode. Very goth. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, thank you, Emily. It's been such a joy to have you on. Just really quick, I want to give a couple shout outs. Um, in uh, next week, no, in two weeks, actually, on um, October 25th, I believe it is, I have. Um, Yes, October 25th. That's a Wednesday, 7 p.m. Pacific as usual. The author of Vessels, a memoir of borders, uh, Michelle Otero. She's a macondista. She's a professor. She's amazing. Get this book if you want to have read it before that episode. Uh, I've known Michelle through Macondo for some years now. And last year at AWP, I was blessed to get to hear her read passages from this beautiful memoir called Vessels, a memoir of borders. So pick that up. And that's by Flower Song Press, which is one of my favorite presses. They're wonderful. Go get Emily's two books, A Procession of Martyrs from Finishing Line Press, which I do have two copies of, but they're up the hill. And then Pliny and Other Problems, which you can buy on the Bamboo Dart Press website. And I would also tell you that you can get subscriptions on there. It's a very good deal where you can kind of get collections of books and they're all um, quicker reads than, you know, a longer book. So they're beautifully done, beautiful covers. Check out Emily's trailer. And then we're going to say bye. You want to do jazz hands to let us out? Oh, I didn't read jazz hands, but yeah. Oh, why don't you read, why don't you read that? And then, um, and then we'll say bye to everyone. And then uh, you and I are going to chat really quick in the green room after. All so right. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to listen in while you do jazz hands. Okay, let me find it. Um, let's find it. Okay, so this one is actually for our. Um, uh, it was our friend Gina visited me, um, and so I was. You know, it's yeah. So it's for Gina. It's called um, 
And I think I actually took her inside joke with another friend and made it mine. But so, all right. So a serious case of jazz hands. You thought you were cured. It had been hard for so long. There were no predictions in the weather or bird signs, just the same old same, the flat line of possibility, the expected maturation of the soul. And then the arrival of your loves, seemingly unexpected because you forgot how to anticipate. The booze was a probable cause too. And the onslaught of memories in the beat and rhythm, it spread like a virus through your midlife veins, itching you through and through a fever too the heat and flush of laughter. Only this can explain the video. You dancing outside in the dark to the Pointer Sisters. Hands fanned out like peacocks. Hips shaking you so sick with silly. <laughs> I just said uh, booze was a cause to story of my life. And uh, <laughs> Probably so this Saturday, <laughs> we are gonna do some serious jazz hands. Thank you, Emily. You're such a joy to have on. You're such a supportive other writers. Everyone check out Tony Ann Johnson next week at PCC. Just go to the Pasadena City College website to see what time she's reading. Those are free events. Emily will be moderating that. And uh, check out Emily's books and check us out on 1025. Thank you all for being here. Have a great night, everybody. Bye.